See, that's why you send your worship guy to Super Summer. He learns new worship stuff. All right, very good. Let me tell you first off, one thought that just relates to your song, because the opening line talked about the sunrise. And this is, we were walking, um, I, you know, your life is busy like ours, okay? But I'm a normal getter up for about 4.30, and Judy's normally about a 6 o'clocker. Well, Thursday, we started babysitting grandkids and stuff, and we, she, and uh, of course, you know, my life's church stuff. And so we, we decided we need to walk, if we're going to walk together, walk early. And we left the house probably at 20 minutes till, till, till 6, you know, way early. And um, we, we, got, we went over by the, uh, by the dump, you know, the new bike trail, and was walking over there. And as we turned and went toward the east, the most incredible sunrise was there. Probably one of the prettiest I've ever seen in southern Illinois. Um, very, very orange. And then the sun was covered by broken clouds that were lined in fire. And then from that came these incredible fingers like rays from behind the clouds. I said, Judy, look at that and, and how incredible our God is in creating that. And here's what I said. I said, we got to see it. And we got to see it because we left the house early to walk. You got to be intentional in looking for the beauty of God. If you stay in bed all day, you're probably going to miss it. If you walk around with your head to the ground, you're probably going to miss it. Look for the intentionality and the goodness of God. Now, along those same lines, and by the way, we're going to be preaching um, a scripture from Hosea, and then we're going on over to Mark chapter four. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. In case you want to be looking there, um, some of you know this, and some of you don't. When we moved to, to 217 West Poplar Street. Um, 12 years ago, the only flowers in our yard was a clump of daylilies on the back corner. That's all there was. It was beat down, hard dirt. I mean, nothing had ever been planted there. And um, so you see now, and we have lots, we have people, it's really cool, we have people come through our alley and they say, you know, you just have the most beautiful yard. And we really do. I mean, we really have a beautiful yard. And all that happened over the last 12 years with a wife who, who has a, a green thumb, I guess you would call it, and she has incredible ability to make things grow. Now, sometimes it's just, well, it's just, you know, she does it. But sometimes I know why. Um, she will take and prepare the ground. She'll take it. Now, that ground was hard as a rock because it had never been cultivated. And so we took it and we took it with shovels. It took me, you know, with my weight on it. And we would dig the hole and then chop the dirt up. And then she would take it and sometimes put some miracle Grow potting soil in there, plant it and keep it watered, and it grew. And we see multiplication. Well, some of you know what our yard looks like. It really is quite incredible. It's a little bit brown right now, but it's, the flower part is just really incredible. And, and it all happens because of preparation. It all happens because of the work that's done before the plant goes in the ground. You've got to prepare the dirt. And then when Mrs. Betty died... We bought her lot and house and had the house torn down so we could gain a backyard. And we put flowers back there. And we planted these flowers in July. I mean, it made no sense whatsoever. And you know what? They all lived. They all lived. And the reason why was, well, we prepared the ground and we put the water to it, didn't we, Judy? Then, last year, we put three rose bushes on the corner, uh, these um, um, lucky strikes or whatever they are. What are they called? No, that's a cigarette, isn't it? What, what is it? Star? I don't know. Anyway, they're, they're roses, okay? They're not cigarettes. They're roses, okay? And so, you know, that, that was really cool. And, and then, what, and they took off like crazy. I mean, like, they went from being like this big to this big. It was really, really cool. And then they claimed, they, they closed Granger Street. And so, our alley, to some degree, has become the new Granger Street. And believe me, they think it's got the speed limit. 
hey, yo, good to see you, bud. You know, it's got to be a... But what happened was, is that these big old trucks would come in our alley, and they would turn toward Granger Street on, on alley to alley, and somebody ran over our rose bush. Yeah. Yeah, I was fired up. You know, remember all the stuff I talked about not being angry and stuff? Shoot, that was before the sermon. I was fired up. I was fired up. So, so we took it and we, we held it up, you know, we propped it up. And sure enough, new growth came out. We were going, yay, all right, dude. Until about a week later, they ran over it again. And this time, it was bad when it pooped. So she said, you know, I said, actually, I said, you know, maybe we need to move rose bush. You know, it's on our property, but if they're going to use our property for a driveway. We might as well move it. So, so we moved it. And when I dug it up, the only thing there was a root about that long. All the other roots, you know, got broken off and stuff. And so we, we, we moved this thing over there. And, and you know what we did? We prepared the ground. We, we dug a hole. And we put, filled it full of miracle Grow and, and put the water to it. We stuck a little baby down there. And, you know, and every day we go out and give it five gallons of water. If you see a tide-like you know, a detergent bucket, it's not that we're lazy to bring it in-house. We fill that thing with water and we fill it up and give it the water. Now, all this is significant because you know what? Something that probably wasn't going to live is alive today. Now, it's struggling, but it has new green leaves on it. It is going to live, even had a rosebud already. And it happened because the ground was prepared and water was put. If we want revival, if we want revival, we've got to prepare the ground. I left this morning truly believing that revival was possible. Can I have an amen? Amen. I honestly believe what I preached this morning when I finished. And furthermore, I believe a whole bunch of you guys thought it was possible too. And I want to confirm that tonight. It is. And so I want to go to Hosea, where the prophet Hosea comes now with a prophecy, with one verse that's just powerful. And it's a call from God through the prophet Hosea to do something big, to do something significant. So Hosea 10.12 says this. This verse has been in my mind years, years. I discovered a long time ago as a younger pastor. Here's what he says. Now sow. Now notice, remember now sowing is, again, giving away. Okay? Something we do. Okay? Sow for yourselves righteousness. So the prophet starts out by saying that we, that God is telling us to do something to cultivate righteousness. To do something that cultivates right. Listen, we are called to be, now listen, we are called to be a righteous people. That was the significance, guys, of that video. I thank God that he led me on YouTube to find that video. Because in that list were so many things that we gloss over in our lives. And I will say it again tonight. It is sin and it's a stench in the nostrils of our holy God. Not, if it's just in, in, anger or envy or jealousy, whatever it may be, gossip, backbiting. Uh, those things, they, they break the heart of God. They grieve the Holy Spirit. And they stifle His ability to work in our church and bring revival to our country. And so, so that was very, very significant. And the prophet Hosea is saying we need to deal with those kinds of issues. We need to sow righteousness. And sometimes sowing righteous is stopping things. And sometimes sowing righteous is starting things. Sometimes it means I have a problem with gossip. And I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to say, God, I've, I've come to recognize today, on, on this day, the first day of July in 2012, that I have a gossiping tongue. And I know I can't defeat it. And I'm asking you in the name of Jesus Christ through your Holy Spirit to help me deal with that gossiping tongue. Father, I have a problem with anger. 
I have a problem with fear. I have a problem with, with unbelief. I have a problem with envy. I have a problem with jealousy. And we identify the sin and honestly start believing, God, through your help, it's over. It's over. The, the line has been drawn in the sand and it's over. And sometimes righteousness is starting something. It's saying, God, I don't pray. I, I'm, I'm gonna, God, I'm asking you to help me set the alarm and get up and make sure I have a quiet time to pray. And God, I don't read your word. I don't get in your word. You, know, you said this morning in your Sunday school class, Judy, is how can men be the men that God's calling to be unless we get in the book? Men say, I don't like to read. How are you ever going to be, know to be the man that God wants you to be unless you get in this book and says, how in the world are you going to be the believer, the Christ follower that God calls you to be if you don't get in this book? And I'm going to be very, I've been pretty bold all day. Might as well continue it tonight. If you're not in this book, virtually every day of your life, you need to get into the book. You need to get into the Word of God and find time to read it. Turn off Dancing with the Stars and you've got an hour. You've got an hour. So, so take this book and allow it to get into your life and change your life. So to yourselves, righteousness. Now, the cool part is we have righteousness. Okay? I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I want you to understand something. Positionally, you are righteous. When God the Father looks at you, He looks at you through the blood sacrifice, of the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and He sees you as righteous. That is what's getting you to heaven. The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is how you're going to heaven. You have no righteousness. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. So you've got nothing to bring to the table, Okay. But there is something, once you receive the positional righteousness of God, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, there is practical righteousness. And that's what God calls us to. We are to get to live a life of practical righteousness for several reasons. To show our love for God. And to show our neighbors that we've been changed. And for a better life right here for us. Now, over in Titus chapter 2, in verse number 11, here's what he says. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that. Now listen, listen, listen. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We've got to learn to deny ourselves ungodliness and worldly lust. You know, I wrestle with this weight thing uh, all my life, all the time. Lose, gain, lose, gain, lose, gain. And the bottom line is this. I am healthier when I choose to deny myself the things that may taste good, but at the same time hurt me bodily. Is it easy to say no to a piece of pie or a cookie or whatever it is? No, it is not. But it is good for me. And Paul, speaking to the young to Titus, says, we've got to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Say that with me. Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And listen, that is the things that were on that list. That was ungodliness. Do you understand that? When you choose to talk about your brother and sister in Christ, when you choose to stir the pot, when you choose to have dissension, when you choose to not forgive, when you choose to be hard-hearted, when you choose to be judgmental, that is ungodliness. And Paul says, we've got to deny that in us. And, he says, the worldly lust. He goes on and says this. Looking for the... Well, I'm sorry, let me finish verse number 12. We should live soberly, seriously, 
righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself that we might re- he might redeem us from every lawless need. Say, every lawless deed. Now, see, I don't know what your item on the list was, but that was a lawless deed. And Jesus Christ died that you could be redeemed from that lawless deed. He gives you the Holy Spirit that you can have power to not do that lawless deed. See, the lost man doesn't have that power. We have the enjoyment of the Holy Spirit. All we've got to do is change our want-tos. Now, Kathy, it's about time for that email that Gary sent me. He said, I'd heard this before, but he said, the email said this. He said, a grandfather was talking to a grandson. And talking about a story of good and evil. And how they were represented by two wolves. One wolf was good and one good wolf was evil. And those two wolves would combat one another. And the little boy said, said, Papa, Papa, what wolf wins? And the grandfather said, the one we feed the most. The one we feed the most. If we keep feeding our old nature and the evil deeds represented on that list, that list is going to win. But when we deny ourselves ungodliness and we deny ourselves worldly things, worldly lust, sin, and we feed, be fed by the Holy Spirit, God gets the glory and God gets the victory. And I'm telling you, Dwayne will be a better pastor and the deacons here will be better deacons. You'll be a better church member. You'll be a better Sunday school teacher. You'll be a better disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ when we master this in our lives. When we get over the fact that we've for so long said God doesn't care about these these small sins, these this gossip and envy and jealousy. God, listen, it breaks the heart of God, and it's killing the power of the church in America today. We want revival. Now, I'm, I'm taking away your your I'm taking away your right to wine tonight. If you, before you whine about this country and the condition it's in, you better be living a holy life. Before you whine about this country, you better be living so much like Jesus. No one can point their finger and say, yes, yeah, the church, you call yourself a Christian, you're a hypocrite. Until you build on your face before God and confess sin and become a vessel of revival in the society, we ought not to whine. We ought not to whine. So for your self-righteousness. Reap in mercy. Reap in His unfailing love. Do you see the connection there? God loves us unconditionally. But, but, but there's a lavish abundance, I think, in the idea of sowing righteousness. He can't love me more. He can't love me less. But the intimacy of the fellowship is so, so sweet. So, so sweet. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap in mercy. And then here it goes. Break up. Your fallow ground. Now I stuck intentionally with the New King James Knight for that one word. I think the Holman Christian Standard says plow up your hard ground. And that exactly is the right translation. But I was hoping and using the word fallow ground tonight, it just might stick in your brain of just a little bit better. The prophet Hosea, God speaking to the prophet Hosea says, break up, plow up. Prepare the ground for me to do a great work in your life and the life of the country. He says, break up, plow your fallow ground. Break your hard ground. Now, how important is this? How it is the difference between success and failure. It is the difference between an abundance of God's power 
and a meager expression of God's power. It's the difference between America, perhaps, perhaps, because like the prophet said, who knows? Who knows? It's the difference between America continuing down a path leading to destruction and moral decay in a country that you do not want your grandkids growing up in or, or a country turning back to God. Like the broken down rose bush, it may be the difference between life and death. Now, in Mark chapter 4, go ahead and flip your Bibles over there. Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the soils. This, I want to use this because it shows you the importance of soil preparation. It, and understand when I say soil preparation, I'm talking about your heart. It, it shows the importance of you having your ground and your heart prepared for what God has for you. Okay, now you know the story. You know, the Bible says that a sower came along and sowed seed. And some of it fell on hard ground. Some of it fell on rocks with a little bit of soil on it. Okay, some, some fell between the rocks and some, some fell on good ground. Okay, and, and the, the disciples weren't having a very good day that day. And so they said, you know, Jesus, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean? And so he answers them in verse number 14. He says, the sower sows the word. The, the, sower is, the sower is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the sower is also every proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sower is every person who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now look at me. If you're a Christ follower tonight, you're the sower. You're the sower. Just like the priest, it'd be awful easy to say the pastor needs to fall down between the portico and the altar and break in tears and and pray. But we are priests. We are ministers. We are missionaries. Okay? So the sower is the one who brings forth the word. We should all be sowers of the word of God. Verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Now, now you understand what he's saying here. You, if you've ever seen a beaten down path, it's where people have walked and walked and walked and walked. And the ground becomes so very, very hard. It becomes fallow ground. It becomes hard ground. And look what he says. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Now, for the lost man, the illustration is classic. Okay? If a person's heart is hardened and the word of God comes, he rejects the word of God. Satan steals away that seed and he's not saved. But is there an application for us? Yes, there is. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there is a reason why there are so many churches in America... And good-hearted pastors, I'm not saying good speakers. I'm not saying men who could eloquently, uh, wax eloquently in the pulpit. I'm talking about good-hearted pastors who love Jesus and preach the Word of God. There has got to be a reason why there is so little response at the altar. I wonder if it's because our past, our hearts have grown hard and Satan steals the seed. Away. You understand the importance of keeping your heart soft? Do you understand the importance of coming to church, having prayed, Father, would you give me something today? Whether Brent's preaching or Dave's preaching or Dwayne's preaching or Randy's preaching or, or whoever. God, give me something today. Do you understand the importance of having 
your heart prepared. I'm telling you, if you come with unconfessed sin and you come with a hardness of heart and you come with bitterness and anger, you are going to walk away like a man, a thirsty man who went to a well and refused to drink. And it's not the speaker. It's your heart. It's your heart. How's your heart tonight? How's your heart tonight? How's your heart tonight? Is it soft and pliable where the Holy Spirit can use it? Or has it been hardened by life and circumstances and bitterness and all these things? If so, the seed bounces on top of the ground and Satan steals it away. You'll probably find yourself pretty easy to say, I'm glad he preached that for them. But because your heart is hard, you can't see your own need. In verse 16, it says this. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But, but they have no root in themselves. They are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. These are the emotional decisions. These are the ones who, who that day happen to be touched and through emotion make some sort of commitment. Not from the heart, but from the emotions. Or, or their life is in crisis. That's the guy who walks in my office and says, I'm losing my marriage. Do something. I'll get saved. I'll do anything. That decision is emotionally driven. You know, I've got a message cooking. Why do we receive Christ? So often we make a commitment to Christ. have some crisis that we're in. And guess what happens? When the emotion cools off, the decision leaves. When the crisis is over, so does the commitment to Christ. So the importance is that we don't have this heart. And evidently what Jesus is talking about, there's a rock ledge there and there's a little bit of dirt. And it may hold moisture well. It did well there. The seed sprouted. But when the sun came up, it immediately baked the seed. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to portray. It's so important that we don't have a heart that's just emotionally driven because it's surface. Or crisis driven. Because when the crisis goes, so does the commitment. Probably 60% of us, 70% of us, 90% of us can identify with verse 18. Others are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age. Can I have an amen? Mm -hmm. The seduction of wealth. Can I have an amen? And the desires for other things. Enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the busy heart. This is the busy heart. This, I think this is what more of us wrestle with than any other thing. We're concerned about the worries of this age. That we, we, we almost have a lack of faith or trust in God or the timing of God. And we worry, worry, worry. If I don't do it, it won't get done. It says trusting God. God, if I don't do it, you won't. So my efforts, how feeble they might be, are better than nothing. Wait on the Lord. He's got a better idea. He's got a plan. The book of Psalms are filled with Psalms that says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Prophet Isaiah, those who wait on the Lord. Wait. Worries and cares. Seduction of wealth. We are consumed with consumerism. We're consumed with... With things. Now, you know, Paul said it in 1 Timothy in chapter 6. God has given us all things to richly enjoy. 
I'm not one of those poverty preachers, nor am I a health and wealth preacher. God gives us the things to enjoy. But when the things start owning us, when our passion in life becomes, I want more, I want more of this and more of that, and better than he's got and better than she's got, we're in deep weeds. And that causes the seed to dry up. The desire for things, uh, for other things enter in. Anything other than God. God really meant it when he said, you shall have no other gods before me. He really meant it. He really did. But then there's verse 20. But the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, they welcome it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Now, now what do you think that happens? What, what, what is good ground? You know, Danny Evans was here, one of these other farmer guys were here. They would tell you it's good ground. It's fertile ground. You know, we were driving down to New Orleans, and down there in the Mississippi Delta, you can identify with this, there's some of the blackest, richest soil you ever... It was good ground. It almost would seem like it was saying to the seed, Come, and I will produce a crop. That's what God calls to us. He wants a heart that is His. He wants a heart that is surrendered. He wants a heart that says, Do the things not this? No. He wants a heart that says, I will deny ungodliness in my life. I will deny it. I, I will deny, deny worldly lust in my life. I, God, want to give you a broken, contrite, humbled heart. That is broken up, fallow ground. Now, now here's the deal. Again, I, I know about as much about farming as I do cooking. And that ain't a whole lot. But I know it takes more than one shallow pass over hard ground to get it ready for the crop. Can I have an amen? Unless you're doing no-till. But if you, even if you're doing no-till, you've got to run that chopper thing over and again and again, breaking up the old silage. Even if you're going to have no-till, you're going to do that. It takes work to prepare the heart. It takes a conscious effort to prepare the heart. And if we want to see a change in America, if we want to see a change in Harrisburg, if we want to see a change in Illinois, if we want to see a change in our lives, our families, our churches, then we've got to break up the fallow ground. It's got to be prepared. And then he goes on and says this. And now I'm back in Hosea 10, 12. It is time to seek the Lord. Now, the commentary, one of the commentaries I was reading and preparing for this, it was saying that in the Hebrew, the verbiage is, it's not a one-time deal. It's not one message on July the 1st, and we all go home and go, wow, God spoke. It's not one time, okay, God, I've got a problem with anger. Praying about one time, and that's it. And the next day you get angry, so you say, it didn't work. It's a change of attitude and lifestyle. It, it, it means when it's time to seek the Lord, it's a continual thing. God, I seek you in these areas. God, I seek you early in the morning. I seek your word. I seek you. God, it's a lifestyle for me. It's being a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. One who takes time to be in the word and takes time to talk to him in intimacy. That's what it is. It's time. It's time. To seek the Lord. How long, Dwayne? How long? How long should we? How long should we kind of like watch these things in our life? How long should we pray? Till He comes and rains righteousness on you. How long do you prepare for revival? 
until revival comes? How long do you act like a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and really address the sin in your life? Until Jesus comes. Amen? Now, it's really cool. I picked this up again in the commentary. See the word reigns there? It can be translated two ways. One, it can be reigns. I know this is weird, but that's what the commentator said. It can mean reign or it can mean teach or proclaim. And so he said, and the author said, perhaps Hosea had the double meaning there. The, the, art, the, um, the I can't say agriculture. Yeah, I did, agriculture. The, the, the metaphor there continues. Till he reigns, till he reigns, till the reigns come, he pours righteousness on you. But till he teaches and trains and molds your heart and life in righteousness. That's it, folks. Guys, I pray in Jesus' name tonight, with all sincerity in my heart, I pray... I know I'm in the Minor Prophets. I know that's the theme of sowing the prophets. I know all of that. But I'm telling you guys, with the election coming in November, we are hanging our hat on two guys who don't have a clue. Now, you ought to vote. Come on, amen? I think you ought to vote. I don't care. I'm going to tell you who to vote for, at least not from the pulpit. You want to meet me in my office, I'll be glad to share with you. I know they, they said, well, one's this way and one's that way, and neither one are great leaders, and I don't know how you feel about all that, but I do know a great leader. And I do know a man with the answers. In fact, I know a man that has never made a mistake. I know a man who's never failed. I know a man who proclaims that he can change any nation, any family, any person. His name is Jesus Christ. I kind of like the idea of the third name on the ballot. Oh, we're right in Christ as King of, of America. Sound like a good idea to me. Would you bow your heads right there, please? I almost feel like I don't need to say anything tonight. You, you've heard the Word of God. I think you know. And you, I think many of you have responded. Perhaps there's just a little more that you need to respond to. Um, in about 12 hours, it'll be 7 o'clock in the morning, and we'll be facing back into the world. And really, we're going to have to walk by faith, okay? We're going to have to walk by faith. We're going to have to believe God and trust God. We're going to have to do that. And then, if, if, if you identified that thing on your list... Okay, and the opportunity comes and you find yourself stumbling and falling, just tell God right there on the spot, don't wait till 9 o'clock tomorrow night or the next day. Say, Father, I just sinned. And I pray that you'll forgive me that, Father. Help me to get up right now. Help me to stand again in you. And what you're going to find out as you go through your days tomorrow, the days ahead and the weeks ahead, if you're serious with God, if you're serious with God, you're going to find out that those stumblings will come further and further and further apart. And you're going to find yourself sowing in righteousness and reaping in His great unfailing love. That would be our prayer tonight. So I ask you to stand your feet right there where you are and just bow your head. I'll pray for us at the close of the invitation time. The altar is open tonight. If you want to come and do business with God here, but like I said this morning, you can do business right there. But listen, I know it's Sunday night, and I know this is message number two, but don't waste it. Don't waste it. Remember? God, what did you have for me tonight? As the team plays and sings softly, you business, God, if I can help you with anything tonight, the decision you need to make, I'd be glad to help you as your pastor. Brother David.